0: welcome back to the white collar crimes podcast i'm the host ryan horn and it's great to be back after a week off and i'm still actually recovering a little bit from covid wife and i caught it she caught it came home from work early i ended up testing positive a couple two or three days later and ended up being off of work about a week or so so uh Not real pleasant, not as bad as it was two years ago when I had it, but it certainly was not a field trip, so I'm still a little bit, not quite 100% trying to get energy back, things of that sort, but uh, overall it is nice to be back on here on this podcast and sharing information about crimes that often do not get the media publicity they should, but just like before we're able to bring this to you because of sponsors and we're glad to have the weekend angler check out his youtube channel the weekend angler proud sponsor of this podcast so please check that out now this episode i'm going to go back once in a while i kind of like to just go back to the basics and this episode will almost kind of like be your sitting in one of my criminal justice classes because as i've said to you before i've taught done a lot of adjunct work teaching a lot of criminal justice courses for years at some extra area colleges here and uh, just kind of be glad once in a while just to go back to the basics and very early on in this podcast I did an episode on a what is a white collar criminal and this is you know, like a breakdown of the characteristics, trends, things like that that research has, research has shown, and this is really no different here. This is going to take us to some updated info. Basically, what is a white collar criminal in 2024? This is breaking down white collar crime in 2024, and I'm sure you have an interest in that area of crime, as do I, and studied it in grad school and. Encountered my share of them in my work in the criminal justice system for over the past 25 years or so So it is uh, an interesting area of study and I thought most people think of just the Gordon Gecko types the Rich and powerful, but as you'll see that's not always quite the case with what the Data shows on this so we're going to kind of delve into that a little bit and see What the data is showing? And this is some data that was recently brought out, I think it was by the folks at Seacost Bank, I believe, were the ones that kind of broke this down, or Financial Service, I believe. And they, uh, this can also, this data can also be found, I believe it's in Brover, E-M-B-R-O-V-E-R.com that released some of these statistics as well. So you can check that out on these sources as well at what's being put out but the statistics break down on what white collar crime is right now and this is 2024 who knows someday you may hear this years down the road and you can look and see what it was breaking down at at this time but this is what it says as far as what is a white collar crime and who are white collar criminals the first thing they do note that only seven percent of white collar crime cases involve women. Now, we have covered some on here before. The treasurer up in Dixon, Illinois, my home state. And we've covered a few more of them. But, yeah, it's it's overwhelmingly a crime that is committed by males, which, you know, if you study crime of any type, you know males. We are highly overrepresented in a lot of crimes, and white-collar crime is no different. Now, according to the folks at the university of cincinnati and it is a top criminal justice school and i'm proud to say i am a graduate of that school and their master's program they are one of the top if not the top research colleges in the country when it comes to criminology now according to them about three-fourths of these males are white we've covered that before and this is pretty still pretty consistent with data that has been put out years before this Now, this is something that surprised me when I first started studying white-collar crime, that less than half, a little bit less than half, of white-collar criminals have university degrees. And I'm sure that surprised you. I know it did me, because at that time, I'd had my dealings with what could be classified as white-collar criminals, but I hadn't, at that point, studied it till I got to grad school, really studied it on an academic level. And that's when I kind of began to see how things break down with it. And I would have thought at that time since most of them are Wall Street hotshots they probably all have finance business degrees this and that. No, not necessarily. Again, a uh, little less than half of them do. So that means a slight majority of white-collar criminals do not have a university degree. Now, that's I don't think that's really that uncommon when you really think about it because a lot of people in the business world and the financial world don't you have a lot of famous Billionaires that are college dropouts, Steve Jobs was, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Bill Gates. You know, you can go on and on to different ones that have become billionaires in the business or finance world and do not have university degrees or dropped out to pursue business interests or whatnot. So I guess when we really think about it, it's not really that surprising that that is how the data shows that white-collar criminals are as far as education level. Now, also, according to the University of Cincinnati, uh, according to them, 94% of white-collar criminals are the only criminals in their family. And that, I guess, is probably not that surprising either because a lot of times, unlike, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast, unlike street crime, a lot of white-collar criminals come from middle-class and above families where, when you're breaking down, the street criminals common... Uh, everyday criminals, they come from working and mostly poor, lower-class backgrounds. So this is one of the big things that separates white-collar criminals from your common street criminals. Because when you'll find, if you look, most of your common street criminals have some family or parents that were also involved in crime. In fact, and this intake that we've got at probation... For my main job, we interview people, and that is part of the questions that we have on the intake is about if their parents or people in their family have criminal records, if they're involved in criminal activity. And this factors into the assessment because it has shown that if people have family members who are highly active in criminal activity, this probationer is much more high of a risk to be Involved in criminal activity themselves, maybe re-offend, things of that sort. But when it comes to white-collar criminals, surprisingly, most of these offenders, most of these guys, they are the first person in their family to get in trouble and break the law. And uh, again, that is something that's much different than what you would see with conventional crime. Now, the University of Cincinnati also notes that the average age is 41, which was pretty close if I remember the data from back years ago when i was in grad school i think it was about 42 43 something like that so the average age is 41 for a white collar criminal which again this is the age what is considered by a lot to be somebody's peak earning years their mid late 30s 40s maybe up till early mid 50s that's a lot of times when people earn their top dollar throughout their career so this is a time when people usually are earning at their their highest but yet this is when a lot of them decide to go off the rails and commit crime and why is that because it's really most of the time that we've had to determine on this podcast and many others it's just raw naked greed just wanting to get that almighty dollar and that's sadly what the motive is because these most of these white collar criminals are involved in businesses where they make pretty good money and pretty good salaries and they're not really in any instance where you would think they have to commit crime. They're not like some of the street criminals It might be desperate, being homeless and without food or shelter, or maybe having a family that's doing without food or shelter and maybe commit a crime out of desperation. Not the case with these guys. They do it a lot of times just simply out of pure, unadulterated greed. Now, the average street criminal in what you would call street crime or blue-collar crime is only about... Well, quite a bit younger actually as far as the age, so you would have to think that a lot of times the street criminals get started in their criminal life and activity much sooner in life than what most of the white collar criminals do. Now when it comes to occupational fraud, most of the time when somebody is going to do that, they're going to do that within one to five years on the job. Could be a lot of explanations for that, maybe after five years they're closer to retirement depending on what age they're at or they're well vested in the company and they feel like they have too much to risk so if you're in an organization and the people you might want to keep an eye on that you think or that you worry might fall into some type of theft or deceptive practices against the company chances are if they're going to do that that are going to be the people that have been with the company in this one to five year period that's again what the research shows now the number one way occupational fraud is detected is through a tip. And honestly, folks, that's no different than with street crime. People think that all the detectives, police detectives out there, and there's some awesome ones out there, I know some personally, but the public, I think, because of TV and movies and reality shows and on and on, have this false notion that these detectives solve these crimes with this brilliant forensic and sherlock holmes type detective work that is not the case the overwhelming majority of unsolved and cold cases get solved because of, a t- of tips anonymous tips usually that are brought in and again no different than white collar crime something that is that it does have in common with street crime a lot of these folks are caught and they're brought to justice by tips now that could be people within the organization friends family could be a few different options on that but the majority of them that are caught doing some type of occupational fraud which is ripping off the company they work for they're being caught by tips and probably i would dare say a lot of them are probably on the anonymous level now the average fraud lasts about 14 months until detected and again that is something that is much different than street crime because if you know just common sense Street crime does not get detected usually 14 months later. If somebody gets robbed in an armed robbery, somebody holds up a gun in their face, they don't figure it out 14 months later. They know right then on the spot if somebody's battered in a bar fight and punched and kicked. They know it right then when it happened, not 14 months later. And we've talked about that over and over again on this podcast, and criminologists and academics will point that out too. That is a huge key difference with white-collar crime is because... These folks commit these crimes and oftentimes they're not caught for months and sometimes even years down the road. Good example is Bernie Madoff. How long he got was able to rip people off on his Ponzi scheme before he was finally brought to justice and ripped off people out of billions and billions of dollars. Because most of the time the people just don't know they've been ripped off till months later or if they're being ripped off by a Ponzi scheme. They don't find out they're in a ponzi scheme till later when the money and the scheme collapses so it is much different you most of the time would do know when a street crime when you're a victim of one you know instantly or pretty soon thereafter maybe you know maybe if your home or your shed or something like that gets burglarized you may not be there when it happens but you'll find out pretty soon thereafter white collar crime does not happen like that again It can be months and sometimes even years down the road before it's detected. And sometimes, sadly, some people it may not be detected on ever at all till it's too late. Maybe after they've passed on or uh, whatnot because that is just the unfortunate reality of it. These crimes are much harder to detect most of the time than your average blue-collar street crime is. And speaking of the length of it, about a third of them do actually last up to about three years or more before they are detected. And again, like I said, go look at the Bernie Madoff case and see how long he got away with it. And Jordan Belfort, some of the other ones we've discussed on this podcast, got away with some things for years and years. And some of the big higher-end ones that we've covered on here, they do. I would say most of the ones that are caught within this 14-month time frame are not your big fish. They are Probably more your medium and small type scams and and white collar crimes. But that's what can be brought out there is the fact that that you have to take into consideration. Am I being victimized by one? And if I am, is it going to be a long time down the road before uh, this person's caught and I can get some sort of justice? And, you know, don't get me started on restitution because we've covered that on here plenty of times how poorly that's enforced with these orders when people are ordered to pay restitution to their victims and they almost never pay it in full and sometimes not at all. So that is a very scary thing that victims of white collar crime face. Now in occupational fraud, 52% of these perps had background checks done on them and of these 52%, only about 13% had red flags because a lot of them don't have extensive criminal histories and Most of them are older at this point. Like I said, your average white-collar criminal that gets caught is 41 years old. Uh, Most of them don't come from families with criminal histories, and they're not involved in a lot of this stuff themselves. So very few of them give any red flags to tip off. You know, when somebody has criminal street crime crimes, especially felonies on their records, it hurts them. I have clients all the time in my office. In fact, one today as I'm recording this that I met with that has had some trouble getting jobs two decent ones on occasions that i know right at the last minute were derailed because of background checks because of some past criminal convictions some felonies and things like that most of these guys these white collar criminals don't have these felonies and things like that on the record so they're not going to trip up any red flags in most potential employers or businesses or anything like that and that again is a pretty scary thing that could out there for you if you're a business owner and you're looking to hire people you know you want to hire the best people you can you don't want to hire anybody that's going to rip you off but sometimes it's just so hard to know if it's going to happen or not because again of the places that are doing these checks and background checks and and these things only about 13% of these are raising any kind of red flags so something to really take into consideration when hiring for your business. 89% of fraud convictions had no previous convictions. So, you know, this could be the cause for why they get light sentences. We talk about that over and over on here again because a lot of times there's not any quote unquote violence involved in these cases. So the courts tend to be lenient on white collar offenders, even though they run a lot of people's lives a lot longer than what some street criminals do to their victims. But nonetheless, they do generally get light sentences because a lot of them, when they're caught, they have little, some have criminal histories, usually misdemeanor type things, but they don't have a lot of the serious crime in their background, and that does get taken into consideration in most jurisdictions and most judges. This is why probably a lot of them get light sentences. But they have shown, some have shown red flags in behavior prior to to getting caught, but who knows, maybe some of them get hired anyway through connections, things like that. Let's face it, it's hard to get a high profile job anywhere of any type without some type of connection or somebody pulling for you or somebody help you get your foot in the door. So that could be why some of the red flags just simply get swept under the rug and, or ignored. Now what they found, the ones that get caught up, and this is really not surprising, I think, but about four in 10 were living beyond their means At the time they got caught, and about a quarter of these folks, these white-collar criminals, were in what you would call financial duress. Now That's not surprising me. That's beyond greed. This is probably the second biggest cause why people commit white-collar crimes is some type of financial duress, especially your embezzlements. That's just simply stealing money from your employer or business and thinking you'll eventually pay it back or maybe thinking you're entitled to it, whatever, but you take money that's not yours without authorization and that's embezzlement and a huge chunk of the people who commit embezzlements we see it a lot of times uh in some cases we've covered on here especially with government employees that a lot of them get entrusted to funds and things like that Uh, we did one on melissa king i think last year the lady that was stealing from a union in new york and embezzled their funds and that is a lot of times people that in these situations are in financial duress now i don't know if that was the case in miss king's case i don't recall that being the case but a huge chunk of people that do commit almost half of them really are under some type of financial dress and i would have to say the rest of them majority of these it's just simply pure greed now speaking of embezzlement the average embezzlement case results in about a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar loss and that is Much larger than what your average street crime costs the victim or society. But start taking notes and compare how many white-collar criminal cases you see covered on the news versus your street crimes. And I promise you, it's not comparable. How much more coverage street crime and violent crime and things like that get in the media, these type of crimes, the coverage they get, compared to white-collar crime. Even though, as you can see here, the average case, this is not Some of the exceptions, the big fish, the Bernie Madoffs and whatnot, these are just the average ones, costing the system and society about $350,000 a pop. That's big money, folks. That's a lot of money. Now, when it comes to money laundering, and that's just simply having a business to front money through and launder and wash money through, that's dirty money, ill-gotten. A lot of mafia and gang members do this, pose a legitimate business where they can pose like this is where they're making their money at, and they're actually running drug money through and all types of things like that. Maybe selling of illegal weapons, things of that sort. And it's a very big crime. You see it happen all the time. And Florida actually has the highest number of convictions of any state in the United States for money laundering. And I'm not surprised they don't have a lot of white-collar crimes. As I've said on this podcast before, the wife and I lived down there just for about a year. It's been some years back, but it is so easy to hide in florida and just be a face in the crowd because more than any state probably in this country it has a almost complete transient population you very rarely meet a native down there in fact when i was down there they used to call them florida crackers and you would see somebody with a license plate they would personalize them there that said florida cracker and that's how you knew that was somebody who was a native and that was rare down there the overwhelming majority of the people you meet in florida are from somewhere else i could probably count on one or at least no more than the other hand, both hands there, that uh, how many natives I met while we were down there in a year. Very few of them. So that could be why a lot of white-collar criminals, and we've covered a lot of criminals and cases that come out of that state, and the fact that it's so easy to hide and disappear, I think, is probably a factor in why that happens. Now, the FBI reports that white-collar crime cost the united states this is just the united states this is not the rest of the world where this is happening too. 300 billion dollars per year and according to cornell law school this is according to cornell law school by comparison crimes like burglary larceny, theft these cost about 16 billion dollars a year again not even in the same ballpark or universe cost wise what it's costing society the criminal justice system the victims everything now incarceration is a huge cost for street crime, no doubt about it. But when you look at just the people that are victimized, a lot of people that are victimized by street crimes don't lose their life savings, their pensions, maybe their homes, things like that. Maybe occasionally, but most of the time they don't. But a lot of victims of white-collar crime do lose these things, and it's very, very scary to think how much more dangerous, and how much more your life can be impacted by white-collar crime than street crime. Most of you, I say, probably worry far more about being victimized by street crime than a white-collar crime, and that's just natural. I mean, it's natural to worry and fear and not want to be a victim of a violent crime, and you see so much on news and, and entertainment and everything about that, so it's much more in your mind, but you're more likely to be ruined for a lot of years by a white-collar crime than you are a violent crime or a street crime or just you know your common blue collar crimes now in 2019 law enforcement discovered that white collar crime cases were totaling just that year about 3.25 billion dollars which was more than double the year before and i would i haven't seen data yet that's come in from 2020 and beyond but after covid when everything was locked down I would say white collar criminals probably got even more creative through technology and things like that. So if I ever get my hands on data that's happened from that period till now, I would love to see it because I dare say it probably exploded during this time because people were locked down at home, couldn't do anything. And these white collar criminals, especially with the technology we have now, they can get very, very creative. So I if I get my hands on that data, we'll probably do an episode on that as well. So make no mistake about it, white collar crime is growing, it is particularly hard, particularly Ponzi schemes are all these years later, over 100 years after a Ponzi scheme was coined and termed and really kind of uh, put out there and watched, it's still probably the most common type of white collar crime that's still going on. But the good thing is on this podcast, we're going to keep an eye on it and keep that going out there and help us keep going. Like our Facebook page, follow us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are. Give us a good five-star review. You can also become a subscriber, get extra episodes. Love to do that if you can. That helps us out. I think a subscription is only $2.99 a month, I believe. So if you can help us out with that, that would be fantastic. Check out my lease and audio book that came out, The Gray Fox of Hollywood. I narrated the life story of famous director Howard Hawks. Available on Amazon or Audible or CherryHillsPublishing.com. As always, folks, please adopt your next best friend at your local pet shelter because they're just waiting for you to turn your life around. And the six we have, we could not be happier doing that. Now, as far as everything else, just keep an eye on your friends and family because, as you can see, these crimes are happening a lot more than we are even realizing, and. Any one of us or our loved ones could be victimized, so please keep an eye on them. Tune in here where you can find out what's going on in the world of white-collar crime and stay up on it, educated, stay sharp on your toes. That's what we want to help keep doing. Please join us next week. going to cover the Codfather, as he was called, Carlos Rafael, a famous white-collar criminal who got in over his head in the fishing business of all types of crimes. I don't think we've had a lot of podcast covering the fishing business so please tune in and check that one out god bless and take care everybody we will see you back here next week